0: many times in life, in which you quickly realize that not all gifts are always as they seem. Say, for example, children, you're you're going through your pregnancy and you're counting up the weeks and you're excited and and you're happy and you're delightful. The baby comes and you're thrilled. And then soon... You go home, and you quickly realize that you have no idea what you are doing, and you have this four year old baby and you you're clueless as to what to do, and you're joyful and you're happy, but you're you're just so tired, and your your eyes they they burn as though there's sand in them, and you're waking up in rooms that you didn't even know you walked into, and this wonderful little blessing soon begins to walk, and then this little blessing that God has given you soon earns the word, no, again and again, no, no. And so the blessings of God often come through hardship, as we will see. So it is with the Christian life, and that's what we're going to see in this text this morning, is that The blessings of God will come through hardship. So if you will, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're getting towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be reading verses 7 all the way down through 12. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find, knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Well, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So, Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our gracious, heavenly Father, we know that you are good. And so we are here and we are asking that you would give us Bread, the bread of life, God, would you give that to us? You reveal yourself to us through your word, God. We ask that in this time that you would convict us of our sins and that our lives would be drastically different from this time forward. That is an act of, of your spirit working in our minds and in our hearts, God. I ask and we beg that you would come and reveal yourself to us now in this moment amen brief little outline of where we're going to be going here the main idea of this sermon that we're going to be working under is seek the things of god and do not be bitter do not be upset when he actually gives them to you seek the things of god and do not be bitter when he gives them to you so we're going to be looking at it in two different parts We're going to be looking at verses 7 and 8. We're to to ask and to seek and to knock for the things of God. Then we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 12, which is the giving of the bread. So main idea, seek the things of God and do not be bitter, do not be upset when he actually gives them to you. Verses 7 and 8, ask, seek and knock for the things of God, verses Nine all the way through twelve, we're going to be looking at the giving of bread. What does that look like when God actually answers our prayers? Let's go back to the text, verses seven and eight. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks who receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. So here is Christ on the mountain. He's overlooking the Sea of Galilee, as we recall, and the multitudes have been following him. And you see at the end of chapter 4, right before the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, why are they following him? Because he's healing them. He's healing the multitudes that are coming to him. And as the masses are now following him, he begins to teach them in this wonderful sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he begins to teach them about the nature of discipleship. It's not just a giving of the new law, but it's Christian life. What are we as Christians? How are we to do How are we to live? And the movements of this sermon are now coming, and he's beginning to turn into the application portion of the sermon here. And so we know that the poor in spirit, that they're blessed, and that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and that if we practice our righteousness before men, sure, we have a reward, which is to be esteemed by men, but if we practice our righteousness in secret, well, then our Heavenly Father who sees what in secret, well, he will reward you with what? With himself. But what are we to do What would Christ have us to do with with all of this that he has given us throughout this sermon? And Christ's application is that we should be asking, that we should be seeking, and that we should be knocking. Here you see it in the text. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. And so that's what we're supposed to do in verse 7. And then he grounds it. He gives us this promise in verse 8. Well, why do we do those things? Why bother doing it? For, or because, you see in verse 8, everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Do you guys see the magnitude of this promise? It's massive. Everything that you ask for will be given to you. Everything that you seek, you will find. At every door that you knock on, it will be opened. It's what the text says. It's rather clear. Not only that, go to Psalm 37. The psalmist writes that He will give you, God, will give you the desires of your heart. Look also in Matthew 21, when Jesus he causes a fig tree to wither and His, his disciples and ask him, well, how did that happen? And He tells them, whatever you ask for in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And then in John 14, Jesus promises, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So we have these wonderful promises, but when we look in our lives, it's quite apparent that we often do not get the things that we pray for. Right now, we we all have we're able to recall these things in our mind that we have prayed for and we have longed for, and they have not yet come to pass. So, how do we reconcile this 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 large separation between what sometimes we we pray for and we long for good things, oftentimes? How do we reconcile this separation between us not getting these things and what Christ has promised us in these passages? So, why don't I get the things that I'm praying for? That's what we ask. But we need to rephrase the question. Instead of saying, why don't I get what I pray for, we need to drop the friend end off and just say, what should I be praying for? So it's not so much about what I want but looking to Christ and to seeing what would he have us pray for. And then we can have these promises, and then we can be sure that they are come to pass. And so we live in this life of luxury, and we have blessings that our God has given to us to such a degree that oftentimes they become spiritual blinders to the goodness of God. And so we, we ask that God would give us a home with enough, Rooms, So we can have each kid have their own room so they can live in isolation, not only from their parents, but from, from each other. What a good blessing, right? Or we, we seek good careers and then we become disillusioned when they don't come to pass. Or we, we knock at the door of health and of comfort. And then we're amazed when our, our bodies actually betray us and begin to act their age. But what about Christ? When we, when we look to Him, what are His prayers and what are His longings? A nice home? Well, no, He, he didn't have a place to lay His head, actually. Uh, did He seek a, a successful career in the ministry? Well, you know how that turned out. What about, what about health and what about comfort? Well, again, you, you know how that turned out in the end. So we see these things of Christ, and the best way to see what is Christ longing for is just to look at some of his prayers that we have throughout the Gospels. So in John chapter 12, um, during, the, during the, the Passion Week, he's, we're right kind of at the turning point of this Passion Week, and he's come in, and he's, the, the crowds have been welcoming him. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And we have this triumphal entry and he begins telling his disciples that, no, it's not what you think. The Son of Man must be betrayed by the elders and the priests and the scribes and the Hebrew. The Son of Man must be lifted high. And what does he pray? In the midst of this resistance that is now becoming palatable with the crowds, he prays, Father, glorify your name father glorify your name and then several days later when he's in the garden of gethsemane moments before his betrayal matthew writes that going a little bit further he fell on his face and he prayed saying my father if it is possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not as i will but as you will then You see him there hanging on the cross. And and he's not bitter about his lot in life as you and I would probably be. But after being crucified, and he's hanging there in the air. Whatever his first words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as he's drinking this cup of wrath for your sin and for mine. What does he cry out? What does he pray? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the temple curtain is torn in two. And again, it's directed towards the Father. All of his asking and his seeking and his knocking is directed towards his Father. And he's, he cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So we see that this, this asking and this seeking and this knocking of Christ and his life is directed towards God and the glorification of God and doing the Father's will. But what about in this text specifically, just to narrow it down a little bit more? When he asks us to ask and to seek and to knock, what would he have us asking for? What would he have us seeking? What would he have us Strongly pursuing so much that if there's a door right there, we're gonna knock and knock and knock until it's open. What would he have us asking for? The answer's right there. It's in the text. This is part of a sermon. This is part of a message. And so what we should be asking for, what we should be seeking and what we should be longing for, is to be poor in spirit. Why? so that you can have the kingdom of heaven. You should be asking and seeking that God would make you pure in heart, as you see, that you might see God. And pray that your light would shine before men, not that you would be glorified, but that they would see your good works and that they would glorify your Father who is in heaven. And even in the difficult situations that you would ask and that you would seek, To love your brother rather than hating him. Even to the degree that you're willing to leave your offering at the table and not pretend to be reconciled to God when you're not even reconciled to your brother. So we see that we should have a heart. We should be asking for a heart that has our treasures stored up for heaven. So we have the answer right before us. In our minds, we often go to the temporal things of the world. And we often ask God to remove these difficulties of our life. But no, 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 no. What should we be asking for? To be more conformed into the image of Christ. That's what we should be asking for. That's what we should be longing for. That's what we should be knocking for. So what does this look like over the next week? First, we have to see the heart of God, again, that's given to us in this passage, that He would not deny these things when we ask for them. So there's no way that God would deny us when we ask Him to make us more hungry, make us thirst for righteousness, when we ask for mercy, when we... Ask God or we seek God to pray in spirit that he and he alone might see us and be delighted in us. God's not going to deny us those things. Secondly, so we see the heart of God, that he will not deny these things. If you go ahead and pray through the the Sermon on the Mount, God will not deny those things. So secondly, uh, what do we do over this next week? Uh, It's quite easy. Do it. We're not going to improve on the words of Christ. He has given us these imperatives to ask and to seek and to knock. Over this next week, just just take time to to reread these reread these passages, to go through them. So we see, in for example, Matthew twenty-five or five twenty-two, where he says, "But I say t- to you that everyone who is angry with his brother." will be liable to judgment. So just ask God to uproot the anger or the bitterness in your heart and and to seek to make it happen. So not just asking, but seeking, putting effort towards making it happen and then actually knocking. So taking physical action in such a way that you can resolve this anger or this bitterness within your heart. So it's not just knocking and, and being content that God would remove this anger, but going going the next mile to seek reconciliation with those whom you've offended, with those whom you have broken relationships with because of your anger, because of your bitterness. All around us there's relationships that are destroyed, that could be mended, that could be reconciled if we would do what Christ would have us to do. To seek to be conformed into his image. So before we move on, again, the main idea. Seek the things of God. So ask and seek and knock for the things of God. And do not be bitter when he actually gives them to you. So we've seen this, how we are to ask and to seek and to knock. For what? Not for what we want, but for what Christ would have us be. And we see that throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Now we're going to be transitioning the second half of the sermon, it's seeing that we should not be bitter when he actually gives them to us. So let's go ahead and reread these verses 9 through 12. Verses 9 through 12. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, could give, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So the goodness of our heavenly Father is evidently displayed here right in this text. The goodness of God, don't miss it. The absolute goodness of God is displayed to you right in this text. And again, we have this argument from the lesser to the greater. So if if you were evil... Give things to your children when they are simple and when they are necessary. How much more will your heavenly Father? So if your child asks you for bread, you are not going to give him a stone. Or if you asking for a fish, you're not going to give him a serpent. So there is our heavenly Father. Well, how much more will he give to his children when they ask for these things? But still we have this lingering question. Why? Why is it necessary? Why are these verses necessary? Why not just leave it at the end of verse 8? That would be fantastic, actually. Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks will be open. Just end it right there. But why? Why give this qualification Because as you begin to ask for these things that we see throughout the Sermon on the Mount, you will quickly realize that God is giving you bread, but you think it's a stone. He's answering your prayers when you ask for these things. And He's giving you bread, but you see it, and you see it as a stone. So He's giving you something to make you more like Him, but what does it look like? It looks like hardship. Or he's conforming you into the image of his son. He's conforming you into the image of Christ. Well, what does it look like? What do we see? We see pain, and we see despair, and we see loneliness. It's bread, but it looks like a stone. Look at, take, for example, the people of the Hebrew people. They're living under the heavy hand of Pharaoh in slavery. For hundreds and hundreds of Of years we see in Exodus 22 that the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac with Jacob and God saw the people of Israel and God took notice of them so God hears their cries and he gives them bread but again, it looks like a stone. What did they get? They didn't get delivered right away, did they? No, no. What is the first thing they got? They actually got more work. And they got it without straw. So not only did they have to make bricks, they have to go procure their own straw. And then that Nile filled with blood, these first plagues, and they endured them as well. So God answers their prayer. We see the burning bush. Moses comes back, and they're crying out, Deliver us! Deliver us! Deliver us, God! What does it look like? More hardship. More toil. More of the same. More like a God who doesn't care. A God who's not answering our prayers. A God who's distant. They have the Nile filled with blood. They have frogs everywhere. They have gnats tormenting them. Yet, this is bread. It looks like a stone at the time, but we see it's bread. Because what happens? God delivers them. And actually, they plunder the Egyptians without raising a sword. And God answers their prayer. It was bread the whole time. It looked like a stone. Again, look at at the life of Christ. Going back to his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane that we talked about, where he's saying, not my will, but your will be done. He's putting into practice, Christ is not surprisingly, putting into practice what he would have us to do. And how does God, his heavenly father, whom he has told us will, will give us bread when we ask for bread? How does his heavenly father answer this? Well, within within moments of concluding this prayer, you begin to hear the clanking of the armor. Of the Roman soldiers coming. That's His heavenly Father's answer to His Son's prayer. And the one whom He created, Judas, is there to betray Him with a kiss. And His disciples, who had supposedly left everything to follow Him, they abandoned Him. It's certainly beginning to look like a stone. Not my will, but your will be done. God's will was done. And then you you see the crowds there again who were lining the streets to welcome Him into Jerusalem are now crying out, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! It's, it's bread. It's not a stone. It's bread. So what is what is Christ seeking like? We know that he's asking, what is his seeking like? Well, he's he's taking action. He's actually carrying the cross through the town with the crowds mocking him as he goes by. Then Christ, he begins to knock as the hammer drives the nails through his flesh and into the cross. And there you see him, your king, Christ adorned as the King of the Kingdom of Heaven, and He's enthroned upon the cross. This looks like a stone, but it's actually it's 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 bread. And here's our evidence that it's stone that it's not a stone, but it's bread is that the tomb was empty, and so He He ascended back to the Father. And these trials and these hardships are actually the reason for which we will worship Christ. And so we know that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In Revelation 5 we see that worthy is the lamb we will be crying out. Worthy is the lamb. Where is it worthy is the lamb who was slain. So it's these hardships that are the reason for which Christ was exalted. So what about us? When we examine our lives, you you pray for patience. And inevitably, the next time you're going to work and you're late, you get stuck behind some driver that makes you begin to hate all of humanity. Just this one driver. Because you, you, well, you prayed for patience. How else is God going to give you patience? Were you... You ask and you seek and you knock to be merciful so that you might reflect the mercy of God that he has given you. And so what does it look like? Of course, God is going to give you situations in which you must be merciful. And it's it's nothing short of painful. Let's not diminish this. It's nothing short of painful. But how else are you going to show mercy without being offended? How are you going to turn your cheek without first being struck? How are you going to go two miles without going one? We think it's a stone, but God loves you, and He's giving you bread to sustain you. Or in our loneliness, we pray and we, we long for God to give us a, a husband or a wife or a child without being thankful that in our loneliness, we are reflecting our Messiah who was alone that we have been placed in a situation, as Christ was, where He's able to commune and have His heart's desires fulfilled with God and with God alone. But what a blessing. It's hard, but what a blessing. Well, what about broken relationships? It's, it's easy to become bitter when you know that you are the one in the right and you have not broken the law. And those whom you are closest to, they rip your hearts out, and when you need them most, they're not there, like Christ. His disciples scattered as soon as they could. But as you ask and you seek and you naught to be conformed into the image of Christ, God in his providence will give you situations in which you can be a peacemaker. And is it painful? Yes. Are you betrayed? Well, yeah, Perhaps. But it's in these moments that you are blessed because if, when you're a peacemaker, then you're called a son and a daughter of God. What about our physical weaknesses? We see them as hindrances to what we should be doing. If only we, we weren't encumbered in this way. But, but a gift of God that we're able to cry out to Him, all the much more, when our evidence is made abundantly known, not only to us, but to those around us. So how often are we praying are we, for God to remove these things that he's actually using to make us more like him? So we're praying for God to remove these hardships instead of asking for him to use these, that we might be more like him, that we might further glorify him throughout these situations. And yes, it's painful and it's difficult, but it is of the hand of your loving and your gracious Father. So your loneliness is a gift of God. Your your children's illness is a gift to conform you and to conform your child further into the image of God. So our failures in our in career and in our business is a gift of God. But friends, we see as we wrap up that it doesn't, it doesn't end there. Go to verse 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So our Heavenly Father, not only will He give us bread to sustain us, but we have the fullness of His riches in Christ. Because we are the adopted sons and daughters of the King, who has created everything. You, if you are in Christ, are a son of God. Of course is going to give you these things that are good, and we have His riches, and then soon, very soon, in Christ Jesus, we will begin to see Him face to face, and though we see it dimly now, we will soon become as He is. But, until then, ask, and seek, and knock, not for your comfort, not for your own glory, but no, for the things of God. Ask for these things that you might become more like the one who's created you, that you might glorify Him in all of your weakness, in all your failings, that you might become more like Him and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask and we seek and we knock that you would give us hearts to long to be more like you above everything else, God. That these hardships in our lives, that these blessings in our lives, God would be used of you to glorify yourself, God. I pray that we would not be so selfish to think that we must have everything orchestrated as we will, God. We pray that it would be Your will done in our lives, God. We ask that You would give us eyes to see these situations, that You are using us to glorify Yourself, God, and that You are using them that we might reflect You and might be conformed into the image of Your Son. Amen.